Amen. I am, Jesus said, I am the great I am. Father, as we get into your word right now, I pray hearts and minds will be open to you. We leave this place rejoicing, recognizing who you truly are, more than just what you have done, but who you are. We love you a bunch. Amen and amen. We're going to deal with a series we're going to be beginning today, and I don't know how far it'll go. There's seven sayings of Jesus, and so we'll deal with each one of those. I want to deal with the I am. Today we're going to do more of an intro. In John chapter 4, looking at verse 1 through 54, specifically looking at just this one phrase, then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. The Message Bible puts it, I am he, said Jesus. You do, have, you do not have to, or you don't have to wait any longer or look any, any further. We're going to spend some time this morning in John, the fourth chapter. And you can read through the Gospels and see all that Jesus has done. And in doing that, you can miss, you can miss just who he is. And if our knowledge, if our knowledge of who he is can, continues to grow, I believe our knowledge as it grows, our confidence in what he says he has accomplished will continue to grow as well. It's so important. You know, it's so easy for us to go through the scriptures and look at all the things which he has done. We're looking at Jesus. But this morning and this next few weeks, I don't want to simply look at Jesus and check off a bunch of facts on what he has done. But I really desire that we really see Jesus for who he is. Because I believe when you see Jesus for who he really is, we're transformed more and more into his image. And I believe the very hunger of our soul then can be satisfied when we see Jesus for who he is. Now, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul. When it all started with the Apostle Paul, he did not like Jesus at all. In fact, we could say he hated the Christ. But look what he wrote. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being what? Transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So he starts out hating Christ. But he ends up giving his life for Christ. The simple point that Paul is making here is this. As he truly saw Jesus, he was transformed. He was transformed one degree of glory at a time. And Paul believed that what he had experienced, that experience would be something that every believer, everyone who saw Jesus, everyone who believed the saying, would also be transformed. Those who truly saw Jesus from who he was. One of the things I noticed in that passage, it says that we're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, ever-increasing glory. So when I read this passage, I realize, wow, we're still under construction. There's no silver bullets in serving the Lord. It's not like one day you wake up and it's like, wow, I got it all together. I had that aha moment for the rest of my life. Everything's changed. That scripture says there's no magic wand. That we're actually transformed one degree of glory to the next. Well, I'd hear a great amen there because it's not a one-time deal. It's a transformation from one day at a time, one degree of glory at the same time. And I know, I understand that we can kick back and we say, you know what, this, this process of transformation, it's too slow. Too slow. It's slower than I would like to have it. In fact, someone might be saying, are you kidding me? 20-some years and I'm still at the same issues. I'm still dealing with the same stuff. You cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, can you please pick up the pace just a little bit? And he says, well, actually, I'm asking the same question of you. So I have, over, I have a simple hope over the next few weeks that I'll be able to help us look at who Jesus truly is. 
So this isn't going to be, my desire is not for this to be some kind of series where we go, here's eight ways that you can help your marriage or four ways to improve, remove doubt from your life. And all those things are very important. They're not unimportant. And all those things, I believe, have a rightful place when you begin to see and savor Jesus. So the end game, the, the end game here, the end game, the whole point, I want us to talk about what it means that Jesus is, in fact, the I am. He said that in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abram was born, I am. What did Jesus really mean when he said, I am? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. What did he really mean? What does it mean when he says, this is who I am? Not just what I have done, but who I am. And so this morning, I just wanted to start off with kind of an intro to the I am's of Jesus. You know, as you go through the scriptures and you hear Jesus speaking, so often he talks about folks having the ability to see but not really see. Those having ears but they really don't hear. And I started thinking, how is it? How is it that we can see but not see? How it is that we have ears to hear but we don't hear? How can that be? And I thought, you know why? Because we get so familiar with the truth. We end up picking up a certain narrative in our lives. We have all the different points, the ABCs of Christianity, the ABCs of Christ and, and witnessing, etc., and we have this a narrative that we establish, and that narrative we go with. We become familiar with the same things over and over again. And so we assume that there's nothing else to know, and as a result, we miss out on the depth and the beauty of what's right in front of us. Recently, I heard a child of God, a Christian, say to me, you know what? I don't need to be going to Bible study on Wednesday night because I already know it. Really? That means you have a narrative, and you're missing the deeper thing. You're missing the beauty of what's right in front of us. And so it's so easy for us to go to church and, and because of our background or, or maybe hurdles that we've had in our lives to, to just say, well, yeah, oh, I, I get it. I get it. I understand that. I, I know. I know. I, I know. But do we really get it? Do we really understand? And so I want us just to stop for a few seconds and I just want us to think, who is Jesus? Because I don't think that we can really understand who Jesus is if we don't commit ourselves to slowing down a little bit and meditating on his word and who he is. So we can change our narrative. We can take our mind outside of a box and begin to see who he really is and get our eyes off of what he does and we expect him to do but begin to understand who he is. It'll change our lives as we change the narrative. And so what I want to do right this moment, right this very minute, the very beginning of all this, I just want to stop for a moment and I just want to have a word of prayer. I want us to pray that the Holy Spirit would, would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. This is not a time for us to pray for our friend or our crazy brother. It's not a time for us to pray for the lost guy at work. No. It's a time for us to say, Lord, this is about me. I asked you allow the Holy Spirit to, to show and help me to see and sense the reality of who Jesus really is. Ask Him just to open our eyes so we can see who He truly is and so that we can go beyond what we currently know, our current narrative.
take a time and just say, Lord, help us to see. Lord, we need to see. We need you to minister to us. And after we pray this little prayer, then we're going to dive into, into John chapter 4. Let's pray. Father, we come before you just right now in the middle of this preparing our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will, by way of your mercy, anoint our eyes that we can truly see and our ears so we can truly hear. We need to sense and savor Jesus. We need to consider him as the Messiah. We need to see him as the Christ, the Savior of the world. Lord, I pray that you will spiritually just shake our hearts and our heads at this time, this morning, so we can be transformed one more degree into your image. Oh, we all pray this. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, let's get into John chapter 4. We're going to spend some time looking at the woman at the well and the encounter that Christ had with her. Now, here's what I want you to do as we read this. I want you to immerse yourself into the account. I want you to set up a movie in your brain, so to speak, and I want you, as we're reading through the Scripture, I want you to put yourself there. I want you to visualize. I want you to feel the sun. I want you to smell what it smelled like that day. I want us to put, put yourself in that text. As we're reading it, I want you to ask this question. Where was she standing? Was she sitting? What was the expression on her face? About Jesus. What was Jesus doing at that point? We know the Scripture said he sat, but how was he sitting, you know? Leaning forward, back. What was the communication like? What was the hand gestures? What was going on? Was she looking away? Was she, what? What was Jesus doing? What was in his eyes? I, I want us just to kind of get a sense of what really was going on as we begin to read John chapter 4, starting there at verse 1. Amen? Are you ready? The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although... In fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord heard this, he left Judah, Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee. And look at verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. I underline it because if you're taking notes, underline that because that's an important point. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. He had to go through Samaria. It's interesting. Verse 5. Well, it says he came down to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, and that's also another interesting statement. Most people don't think of Jesus as ever getting tired. The Scripture says here that he got tired. He was on that journey. He's walking, and he gets tired. There he is. He's tired and he sits down by the well and it's about the sixth hour, which means it's in the middle of the day. High noon. Verse 7 says, Then the Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The disciples were gone. They had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? That's a good question. You say, "How? What do you mean, Jesus? Why, why would you ask why would you ask her such a question? She's upset. Why? Why? Why are you asking me? Why are you speaking to me? Well, the Bible answered it. For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus would then answer her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks for you to drink, you would ask him, 
he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, the well is deep. Where can you get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and his herd. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water that I will give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, which you would expect, Sir, give me this water so I don't have to get thirsty and I don't have to come here to draw water. He told her, go get your husband and come back. That's like, where'd that come from? And that's actually, verse 16, is actually a pivotal point in our text where he says to her, go get your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. She replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five and had five husbands. And the man you with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite sure, true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Did you see what she just did? I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we were to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You, he says, where the Samaritans worship, we worship where we do not know for the salvation is from the Jew. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they that are kind of worshipers that seek the Father. God is spirit and the worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything. I kind of think that's a little sarcastic. Because she just said that Jesus was a, a prophet. She's, he's talking about her, her, her husbands. It's an area that she really doesn't want to get involved with. So what she do? She blows them off and says, yeah, well, you know, when the real Messiah comes, he'll be able to explain everything, okay? A little pushback there. Now we're going to skip verses 27 through 28, 38. Not that they're not important, but just not where I want to go today. Skip down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of, this wor- because of his words, many more be- became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. There's so much in that text. There's so much that we could go over. We could do a complete series just in simply, simply in that text in this event alone. Yet really the whole thrust of this message, the whole point of what's being said here is that in fact Jesus is who he said he was. He is the Savior of the world. In fact, you can actually sum it up in verse 26 and verse 42 where Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And then dump, jumping down to verse 42, They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. There is no other. And that's the thrust of the account. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And everything else that happens 
in this text happens because Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now, as you read through this passage, we run into, well, an interesting passage, verse 4. Because there's all sorts of cultural oddities in this text. Jesus said, verse 4, he had to go through Samaria. Now, it's true for us to, for him to get through back onto to, uh, back to Galilee, he had to go to, to go through Samaria. But it's interesting because <laughs> the Jews despised the Samaritans. He was going to have to cross through some aspect of Samaria. And because the Jews despised Samaria so much, they would go, well, there's two ways to get to, to Galilee. They would either go straight through Samaria, which would take them right through Sychar, or they would go all the way around to avoid Samaria as much as they could because they despised the Samaritans. The Bible even tells us clearly that they would not, the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Would not, did, could not. Wow. So why does Jesus choose to go right through? If I was to put it in, in today's language, it would say this, there's a whole lot of bigotry going on here. There's a lot of evil in this sentence. It's kind of like they're saying, look at today, in today's language, I don't have any deal with, dealings with this culture or this group or these individuals. You fill in the blank. Can you imagine how crazy that would be? We have nothing to do with Samaritans. They're scum of the earth. They have nothing to do with Swedes. Really? You know? Yet that's what's happening. Yet, Jesus said, he had to go through Samaria. He was supposed to avoid Samaria at all costs. But Jesus said, I have to go. And you say, why? Why are you going straight through? Why are you going from where you are straight through to Galilee? Why are you going through the center of it? Why don't you go around? Don't you con aren't you considering your disciples? You're going to put them in a bad spot. How confused are they going to be now? They're Jews. Are your disciples really ready for this? What they're going to encounter? Jesus, you're disregarding the cultural bigotry at the day. There's no apologies and no explanations. You're just going north. Why? Because he had an appointment. With who? A woman? Why? Because he's the Savior of the world. You say amen. Savior of the world. Now let's talk for a moment about this woman at the well. She's at the well at the wrong time of day. The woman in her day would get up very early in the morning and they would grab their buckets, they would grab their barrels, anything else could hold water, and they would go down to the well and they would fill those buckets and those vessels. And they would do what all women do when they get together. They would talk about their husbands. They would talk about their kids. They'd talk about life in general. The only difference between them and women today is they weren't wearing yoga pants. But they would speak and they would share. <laughs> hey, look, yoga pants. Hey, look, at you don't have to work out, but at least you look like you do, right? <laughs> well, anyways, they would go off. They would want to get ahead of the heat of the day. They don't want to be there at high noon. They don't want to. They want to get back before the heat of the day. But this woman, this woman at the well, Jesus finds, she's there all by herself. She's gone all by herself. It's the hottest part of the day. She's avoiding public 
experience, that public experience. And why? We find out she had five husbands. And the man she was with right now is not even her husband. So what happened? I don't know what happened. Scripture doesn't say what happened to these men. I mean, these could be all five brothers have died somehow. And maybe this new guy refuses to marry her because, look at the guys before him dropping dead. This is not a good thing, so I'm not marrying her. You know, look at these dudes in front of me, man. I ain't dealing that. She's okay, but I'm not marrying her. I'd like to live a little longer, you know. Maybe she's just promiscuous. I don't know. All I do know is whatever it was in her life, it was a mark of shame in her life. It affected her ability to walk in public. And so she takes most of her energy, focuses most of the time trying to avoid, trying to hide. So it's in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. She goes there because she feels like no one else is going to be there. So she heads to the well, and wow, there's the Savior. He's the Savior. She doesn't know that, but there he is. And he has to ask why. Why would Jesus engage with this woman? Because he's what? The Savior of the world. That's part of the reason why we prayed earlier. Because every single one of us, every single human being at some point in life needs to come to the aha moment where they get it. It's not just about what Jesus has done. It's about who he is. Who he is. Who he is. I would say this, that she had some hurdles in her life. There were some things in her life that she hadn't gotten over quite yet. There was some shame and guilt in her life, things she had not received forgiveness for. Issues that were stopping her from believing that this guy was, in fact, the Savior of the world. He might be a good man. He's a prophet. He knows a lot of good things. But to be the Savior of the world, I don't know. Verse 15 tells us that when Jesus is speaking to her about living water, she says, hey, sir, give me this water so I, can, so I won't be thirsty again and I don't have to come out here and draw water anymore. What she's saying in final desperation, she's saying, look, give me this water so I don't have to come to this well anymore. I don't want to, mm, I'm tired, I'm weary of this life. I'm, I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of coming out in the middle of the day. I'm tired. Just give me this water so that I can disappear. And Jesus' response to her is, go get your husband. That sounds so cold. Go get your husband. It's cruel. You know, Jesus is not tipping or towing around any longer. He's addressing the proverbial elephant in the room or the camel in the desert. Here she is. She says, give me this, please. And Jesus says, go get your husband. What's he doing? He's touching the most tender, most shame-filled, guilt-ridden part of her life. Speaking to it. She responds, I have no husband. The guilt and the shame, he brings it out. You're right, he says, you don't have a husband. In fact, the fact is you have had five husbands. And the man who is now not even your husband. Why did Jesus do that? If you step back and look at it and listen to it, it's like, that's cruel. That's not the way, Jesus, you win converts. I don't think that's the way we should go. Just give her the living water. Why shame her? Why bring up all the past and the hurts? 
All you're doing is bringing things up and just, you know, that's really painful to her. It's, it's, it's at a level, a heart level, guilt level stuff that just wants to bury the kind of stuff we bury deep within. Stuff we don't want to deal with. Those, those hurdles that we come into in life and we say, I can't deal with that right now. And we stop. We don't go over it. We don't have victory anymore. We just hold back. We develop a narrative to comfort ourselves, to get through life. And then we begin focusing only on things that he does. And we miss who he really is. We just don't want to go there. Because we're comfortable with our narrative. We're comfortable with what we know. We're comfortable going through the motions. We just don't want to touch that hard spot, that soft spot, that hurt deep within. See what's happening is that Jesus is going after that space that only he can heal. She's been coming, she's been coming out to the well in the middle of the day. He knows that, which means that she's avoiding either the very real and or perceived judgment of other women. She's coming out in the middle of the day to avoid being wounded by the stairs. She's coming out in the middle of the day to, to, to avoid the whispers of others. She feels dirty, she feels ashamed, so she's hiding. And up to this point, she's been wildly successful in avoiding that judgment. Or at least she's not seeing or hearing the whispers any longer. She's been avoiding it all, but never been healed. She's still living with that every single day of her life. She's looking forward to the Messiah coming and somehow answering all these things. But right now, she's not experiencing who he really is. Just the things that he does. not been healed. In fact, if you think about it, she's actually been enslaved to her guilt. She's been enslaved to her shame and that sin. And what a shame because Jesus is the Savior of the world who is rich in love. And he goes to the heart of the pain. And the reason why he does that is to bring healing. Transformation. You know, think about it. We all have those little things, those little hurdles, those little things in our lives that we hide, we, 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 we put off, primary, those hurdles that, the hurdles that are keeping us from really knowing Jesus personally, just developing a narrative, living day by day, hoping for the future, but all that other stuff just kind of keeping it down inside. Just look at what he does. We hide the places in our heart as though Jesus doesn't know about them. And guess what? He does. We've got those hurdles. We struggle in ourselves because of those hurdles, because of those areas that we try to bury deep inside. We, when we confront them, we kind of bury them, and as a result, it, it, it kind of hurts. It affects the way we believe. And I do believe this. After all my years of serving the Lord, I do believe that a person can have an impersonal relationship with Christ and still be a Christian. They can have a head ascent. They know who Jesus is. They made the confession. They're putting together the word. They're living by the word. But they don't have that personal relationship. Not really. You can see it in the lack of worship. You can see it in the decisions we make. You can see it in day-to-day -day choices that we have. And we can just see it in direct or personal relationships that we have. See, what affects our intimacy with Jesus is the fact that you have had some real struggles those real struggles in our life, and we don't voice them. 
we hold him inside as if he doesn't as if he doesn't know and we don't want to bring it up so it's too painful to go there we always you know i hate this statement you know time wounds all heals no it doesn't where did that ever come from the idea that time wounds all heals no those wounds are there and they're they're becoming hard areas and they affect who we are and what we can do in the future they affect relationships What's crazy about this text is that Jesus does know. He knows. When he says to her, go get your husband, he's not taken off guard by this woman. He already knows what he's doing. What is he doing? He's going after that one spot that she doesn't want anyone to touch. She doesn't want no one to go there. Just don't go there. It's too tender. You run into people like that, just don't go there. Keep that door shut. I don't want to go there. I don't want to deal with this. That area that's tender and Jesus is going for it because he knows his touch will bring healing. Touch will bring healing. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's willing to do. He's willing to press into the most delicate wound that she has. Not to bring pain to her life, but to woo her out of it. So she doesn't have to experience that day in and day out. But she does what we all do when people get too close to us. They start punching, they got pointing, they start stirring up something that we really don't want anybody to get to. When we get to that level of the heart, because it's wildly uncomfortable, that's why most of our relationships are impersonal. She did exactly what we do, right? What does she do at this point where Jesus says, hey, look it, you don't have any husbands, the one you have right, you've had five, and the one you have right now is not your husband. What does she do? Verse 19, she says, oh, I see you're a prophet. I don't know about you, but I think there's a little sarcasm in that. What do you think, Jesus? Everybody knows that. That's why I'm hiding during the day. Oh, so you're a prophet, he says. You're a prophet. And I think what she's doing at this point is that she is actually is an indictment for all of us. You know? She changes the subject. See, what he's doing and what he's saying is too uncomfortable. You're beginning to deal with her heart. She's like, this is uncomfortable. This is an awkward time. You're dealing with my heart. I don't know who you really are. I'm feeling kind of weird right now. It's too painful to deal with right now. Don't you understand? I know exactly how to live my life. I've got it all figured out. I don't want, don't, don't rock the boat. I deal with whatever I deal with. So she changes the subject and she immediately goes, oh, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. The Jew Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. I started thinking about the difference between being transparent and being vulnerable. Most of us would claim that we're transparent. We have no problem with the idea of being transparent. What you see is what you get. You know, we claim that. Of course, there are some things that we're hiding, but regardless, we kind of go around thinking we're transparent. Because being transparent, saying that it's cool, you know, being transparent, it's authentic, it's, you know, good, make me feel good. What you see is what you get. But to become vulnerable? How many people really want to be vulnerable? We don't want that. It's altogether different. Because when you're vulnerable, it's, <laughs> it feels weird, you know. People know. People can use it against you. 
I don't, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to deal with that. I, I've lived my life. I've done all kinds of things to try to hide that. I just want to focus on who Jesus, you know, what he does. Wait a minute. See? Oh, our fathers, he says. She said, our fathers worship in this mountain. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in, nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. Now she thinks <laughs> she's got to change the subject. Which mountain is it? I love it. I love it. Well, Jesus, we're not going to talk about my husband. We're not going to talk about my past. You're getting too close. Listen, what mountain is it? What mountain is it? Answer that. How many times people say that? Oh, yeah? God can do anything? Can he move the biggest, can he create the biggest rock in the world and a rock that's so heavy that no one can move it so that he can't even create it, can't even move it himself? And people come up with stupid things. They come up with, just get off the subject and come up with this whatever. Oh, yeah? What mountain? What mountain should we worship in? And love Jesus' answer, neither that mountain nor this mountain. True worship is worship in spirit and in truth. And the day is today. Of course, in her little sarcastic, she's pushing back now because they got too close to her. She's arguing at this point. She says, I know the Messiah. I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. He'll settle this what mountain to be sitting in. He'll settle all this issue you bring it up. And what's she doing? She's backing away. She's covering herself up. She's trying to, she's, I don't want to be vulnerable. She's avoiding. She's protecting herself. And then Jesus, I love this man. I love this God. Listen what he does. He's like, he's like, a, it's like a chess, chess game right now, right? He's making his chess move. And he does checkmate. I'm him. <laughs> I love it. She's trying to avoid the whole thing. You know, when he comes, oh, he'll be able to tell us what's going on. And she, he goes, I'm him. <laughs> checkmate. I love it. He knew it all the time. What's he doing? He's the savior of the world. He wants to touch that area in her life so she can be healed and transformed and changed. That's what he wants. Being the savior of the world, he's not afraid, he's not nervous, not concerned about whether or not he's politically correct. He's Jesus. I love this too. Now his disciples returned and were surprised to find him what? Talking to the, with, his, with the woman. But no one asked. It's quiet. It's like an awkward moment they walk into. Whoops. No one asks, what do you want or why are you talking with her? They show up. Now, I'm sure that at this point, this woman is like, you could just see in her face, puffy eyes maybe, she's pulled back, she's been shocked, been checkmated, you know, and so, so and the disciples feel, come walking in, something weird's going on here. Can't put our finger on it, but no one says a word. It's one of those awkward moments. They don't go, hey guys, how's things going? They don't do that. Hey, who's the girl? You know, who's the woman? You know? Don't. They didn't ask Jesus, do you need anything? Jesus, why are you talking to a Samaritan woman? So it's that awkward moment that nobody wants to address. Unlike Christ, who wants to deal with whatever those issues are, so they can be healing, healing and direction. Now, 
tells us in verse 28. Then leaving her water jug, the woman went back to the town to say to the people. All of a sudden, in this counter with Christ, all of a sudden there's a boldness now. What does she do? She's been hiding, covering up, looking, you know, trying to avoid the shame and all the words and all the whispering. But now the scripture says she's got this boldness. It's like a holy boldness now. And she goes back. She leaves the jar, stops what she's doing. Everything changes now. Goes back to the town to say to people, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? She'd been overwhelmed, this woman, who was overwhelmed with guilt and shame based on some very real sins, <laughs> real things that she had given herself over to. She's no longer nervous or ashamed. She runs into the town and boldly says, according to the Bible, she said, come and see. Come and see a man. She had a past. Everybody knew about her. And I can imagine when she goes running into town saying this, and the people walk, listening to her, like, so eyes are rolling, right? Oh, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And I imagine they were kind of whispering a little bit. But she's been emboldened. What emboldened her? The grace and mercy of the Savior. She's emboldened. She's identifying with the Savior. Not what people's opinions, not people's ideas. It's she is who he says she is. Come and see. A man who told me all I've done. And the scripture says, well, they went out. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of woman's testimony. Notice this now, a testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came out, came to see him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of this because of his words, many more believed, became believers. They said to the woman, this is key to verse 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. They had a hurdle. They had a, they had a block. They had something in their lives, but that's been removed now. They're accepting who Jesus really is. They believe. Not longer in the head. Not just facts, not just what he does, but all of a sudden it's who he is. And it makes all the difference in the world. It's the difference between a personal relationship and an impersonal relationship. The Bible says they first believed because of her testimony. And then because they saw him and talked with him, with him themselves. And all of this happened because he's the Savior of the world. Now, there's a couple ways that you can read this text. We can read the text in a very impersonal way, or we can read the text in a personal way. What I mean by that is simple. I can read the text, Bible, as you would read a newspaper. And far too many folks are guilty of that. We go through the Bible, read our verse of Scripture, we read the chapter and day, whatever it is. We read it like we're reading a newspaper, like we're reading a magazine. We're guilty of that. And as a result of that, the Bible becomes very boring to us because we're just reading the words. We're reading the accounts. We're memorizing some text. Then we've learned that it's important for us to, to open up our Bibles and, and take some notes down. We've learned that we need to have quiet time. Quiet time, when I was growing up, was a punishment. You're going to have some quiet time. I want you to go sit in the corner right now and be quiet, right? Get, and just begin to read this. This is what you're going to do. It's like, punishment you know 
And you can go through the Bible and you can become a very imper- in a very impersonal way. You open up your journals, you open up your Bibles, you write down some facts. Those facts are true. It's praise God for that. You've got an opportunity now to tweet. So you put something, you take a picture of, of a coffee mug in, in the Bible and some of the words you wrote down and you tweet it and you can put the line hashtag amen. And then you go on, you write now another sentence. People really, you write it down. People really want to worship Jesus. Another line might be, you know, Jesus meets people where they, they are in all their messes. Cleans them up. Hashtag amen. They're all true statements. It's really true. It's there. True statements that are embedded in the text. It's true. Jesus makes people bold. Jesus removes and relieves people's guilt and shame. And the testimonies are powerful. And you can write those down in a journal. And you can close that journal and you go about your business the rest of the day. You've read the Bible, you've journaled, but it's very impersonal. It's factual. It's true, but it lacks the courage of walking in vulnerability, opening ourselves up, allowing the Word of God to reveal in us personally. In fact, we can take the information that we've received and we can use that to judge others because it hasn't become personal to us. Now, this is the way I think we ought to be reading the Bible. I think we should read the Bible in a very personal way. Let me start by saying this. If you can't follow me here, you probably won't be able to follow me for the rest of the sermon. And from this point on, probably the first half of the message is better than the last half of the message. Okay? But I want you to picture this in your mind. We are all the women at the well. We are all that woman at the well, every one of us. Jesus shows up at the well. And he says to the woman, go get your husband. This is a very sore and tender place in her soul. Well, when did Jesus stop by your well? Maybe he showed up, not at a well, but he showed up at a football practice. You don't have five husbands or five wives, but maybe you were a liar. Maybe you were a cheat. Maybe you had low self-esteem. Maybe you broke the law. Maybe you got drunk. Those are things that in the past, you buried them. You don't want to talk about it. Nobody bring that up because I'm vulnerable in those areas. I mean, you were just doing what everybody else was doing. And so far, you've been pretty good at hiding that stuff. But by the grace of God, there's this moment, this aha moment. When you realize life isn't working like it should be working, those areas that you've buried keep coming up. You keep dealing with those things. You keep pushing it back down. And you keep thinking, this is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus is. You know, this is what he does. He does, he does, he does, he does. In fact, at that moment, that aha moment you had, at that moment of grace, you may not have become a, a Christian for another couple of years, but all of a sudden you know. And it could cause you to want to avoid having experienced that any, again. But it isn't working. Where does it all end? Where does it stop? Okay. You've tasted the world, and the world's been lying to you. It's just not working, the comments they have. And so at that moment, that time at your well, that, that moment, that spiritual time at the well, that moment you become currently, uh, acutely aware that, no, I, I'm a liar. Not just that I lie. I'm a liar. I cheat. I, I break the law. I am not a good person. I, I have all the world says I need to be fulfilled and happy, but I'm banquet, banquet and I'm angry. 
And the question all of us have to ask is, Lord, is that your will? That moment, Jesus speaks. It's no longer, oh yeah, you're a prophet. Oh yeah, I know your word's true. It's the moment he's touching that area in your life. You're buried. Remember, Jesus has been asking some very specific questions about her heart. And she didn't have any answers. Not really. But I did hear her say this, give me this water. That's what I heard. Did you know, folks, we can go to church, hear about Jesus. We can go to church and hear about all that he has done. But can't see him for who he is. You can go to church, hear about all the information, all the knowledge, but, but never grasp who Jesus is as long as you have hurdles in your life, strongholds in your life, areas of blockage, hard areas. Your own doubt, whether or not he is really good, because you've gone through some things that, that you just don't understand. You can't reconcile any of the things you're going through with the loving God. Some of the things happen to you, some things happen to, to people you love, and, and you can't make any sense of it all. I mean, God's supposed to be a God that is loving. He's a God of the universe. He's a good God. Then why is this happening to me? Why did this happen? Okay, I kind of just buried that situation. I'm just going to go forward. God knows that's it. I'm going forward. But it's still there. It's still there. Can't make any sense. You just can't reconcile that with your experience. There's significant hurdles in your heart. And your heart is thirsty. It's there. The last point that I want to make to really draw out before we pray and sing. That if Jesus has a three-year ministry, what in the world is he doing at a well in Samaria talking to one woman? It's not the most effective way, not the most effective model in saving the world. I mean, he's got a massive crowd waiting for him just north. But no, 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 let's just stop here a little while and talk to this single woman who's an adulterer and spend some time healing her deepest wound. Oh, and by the way, while we're there, we'll end up hanging out with some of our loser friends for a couple more days. And you say, what is going on here, Jesus? It doesn't make any sense, but it does make sense if he's the Savior of the world. It makes a lot of sense now. We're going to pray. Service is coming to an end. And I have to ask you because, again, the series is dealing with who Jesus is. And the greater understanding of who he is, the greater opportunity we have to grow, mature, and develop. But at some point in our lives, we're going to have to deal with some of those hurdles. We're going to have to deal with some of those areas of hurt. I've been serving the Lord for a long time. I know you have. Praise God for that. I'm not questioning whether or not you're saved. But sometimes it's those areas in our lives that prevent us from really experiencing Christ and being able to express it in our worship and our praise and our interactions, our personal relationships, etc. We have to move past those, move past those hurdles. Just being an acquaintance. We've got to move past just being acquaintances to, into a personal relationship. We have to be honest. There, is there one area in our life where we question God? Is there a little animosity towards God? Why did God take away my husband when he did? Why? Why my children? Why? We don't talk about it. We just bury it and we just trust God. But it affects us. It affects us spiritually. It affects the way we look at life. It affects the way 
The way we think about the future, it affects about our meaner, demeanor, our faith. It just affects us. Deep inside, it does affect us. Is there a time where you feel like somehow he betrayed you? That somewhere along the line he's been cruel or un- unfair? Why did, I, why did I have these parents? You know, my life would be so much different if I had a father like such and such. But no, I didn't. And I had a jerk of a father. And as a result, man. Can't reconcile these things. Maybe you can't reconcile because you've got an intellectual problem when it comes to certain things. It's just the way it doesn't line up and you've got, it gets in the way of faith. And so we need to pray. We need to pray. We can worship and serve our God and get to know who He really is. Stand upon that. The great I am in my life. Take all that's there and just pass and cast it aside. And don't get focused on what He's done who he is. It's going to make all the difference in the world. world of difference. Let's pray. Father, we just need to run now just to confess that we don't have all the facts we need to know about Jesus. What we do know is good, and that's wonderful. But we need to know beyond, go beyond the facts. We need to know him in a personal way. Experience that relationship. I, I thank you, Lord, because you offered us that ability to, to really get to know Jesus in a very personal way. Oh, my Lord God, that, that we would deeply know, deeply know in the depths of our soul. Father, I pray that, that in looking at Jesus today as the Savior of the world, that you might begin to shape us, move us one degree closer to becoming more like him. Open our hearts, Lord. Speak to us. Speak to us. And let us not be afraid. Let's not change the subject. But bring that before you, my Lord. And in doing so, we will develop a boldness. We will develop a confidence because of who you are. It'll transform our lives as we go forward in your precious name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Let's spend some time, a little time around the altars. It's still early. And... Uh, about one o'clock yet, so we got plenty of time. And let's spend some time around the altar. Then we'll put a song up, and let's spend some time worshiping.